This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Well, one of the most painful and yet most common emotions any of us will ever experience in life is grief. Now, we're reminded in 1 Thessalonians, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. But can you grieve and hope at the same time? Well, of course you can. And we can see why that's true as we look at Lamentations chapter 3, for example, which says, though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. We're going to tackle this subject of grief today with Colin Smith, senior pastor of the Orchard Evangelical Free Church in the Chicago area. He's also president of Unlocking the Bible. And today we'll be talking about navigating the valley of sorrow and loss as we discuss his book, For All Who Grieve. Colin, welcome. It's great to have you with us again. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Janet. Uh, Thanks for having me on the program. Always good to talk to you. I know this is a very difficult subject, and I think it's very interesting what led you to write this book. It involved a number of families in your church. Can you tell us a little bit about what precipitated this book and this series of sermons that you preached on Lamentations? Yes, there was a a couple, uh, Greg and Pam, who went through uh, the very tragic uh, loss of their son in a terrible accident. And uh, as their pastor, I had the privilege of walking with them through these early days and the funeral and so forth. And and after that, I, I said to them, you know, would you be interested in, in meeting with some other folks who've also gone through the loss of a child? And they jumped at that. They were very interested. And so I phoned a number of other folks in our congregation who had gone through um, this experience. And the following week, um, we all gathered in our home here. And uh, for the weeks that followed, um, uh, uh, each of the folks uh, in the group shared their story. It was a remarkable experience, Janet, to, to see the connections. Oh, you felt that. Oh, you asked that question. So did I and so forth. And then we got out the Book of Lamentations and over these subsequent weeks uh, drew out um, the themes of this remarkable book, and found that they spoke directly to what um, uh, the members of the group were experiencing. So the book really invites people to come into a remarkable experience that we shared over a number of weeks as we found how the Word of God speaks to this most painful reality of life. Yes, well, you call lamentations God's gift for those who grieve, which I think is a very good description. Why do you say so? Because obviously, when you are grieving, you might go to the Psalms, you might go to Ecclesiastes, you might go to Job. Why lamentations? What is it about that book that stands out when it comes to the subject of grief? Well, it was written out of the devastation of people who um, were living in Jerusalem at the time when the city collapsed. And so they had gone through the most extraordinary trauma. The city had been under siege, and so the um, uh, people had been starving. And of course, when that happens, the youngest die first. And uh, eventually the uh, city collapsed, and then the strongest and most able people were taken away 
so many of those who remained were, were trying to scratch a, a living out of the ashes of this ruin, having lost younger children, um, uh, having said goodbye to older sons and daughters who they would likely never see again. I mean, some of these folks had experienced devastating things, violence. Um, some of Lamentations is really hard to read, but this is a book that comes out of the most extraordinary grief, and it's in the Bible for a reason, and that is that uh, that we know what grief and sorrow and loss are in our lives too. Yeah, we sure do. You talk about a couple, Lyle and Sue, right at the outset of the book, and what Lamentations has to say in relation to their tears, and you have a chapter talking about tears. Can you really extrapolate on that a little little bit about the importance of tears and what the Bible says about the process of grieving by shedding tears and weeping? Yeah, well, Lamentations is full of tears. And when we began to draw out that um, theme, um, there was just fascinating discussion uh, among um, the folks who were in the group. Um, uh, a couple of folks said, you know, at first I just couldn't cry. And then when I started, I couldn't stop. Um, what we found, too, uh, was, um, and particularly when I began speaking on Lamentations later to our congregation, I had letters from people saying, you know, it's so helpful to know that it's okay for Christians to cry. One woman wrote to me and said, you know, I've had two miscarriages, and I, I always felt that I had to hold myself together. That was the phrase she used. And, and just the fact that Jesus wept and that there's a book of the Bible that is stained in tears on every page has been very, very helpful to folks in our group and to others who've been considering how the book of Lamentations speaks to us. Um, uh, you know, Tears are the, the, the shuddering of the body at the pain of the soul. And they're God's gift because they're a way of getting some of that pain out. And so uh, Lamentations encourages us not to hold them back. Well, it's interesting, Colin, because when you mentioned that somebody had said, am I allowed to cry or should I shed tears? Is that wrong? Why would we ever believe that it would be wrong to cry? That seems like such a basic thing when you're grieving. Of course, you would cry. Is it kind of the idea in some people's minds that I'm not really trusting God if I fall apart and I just need to be stoic about it? Yeah, it might be. It might be. It might also be that I think, you know, the verse, the wonderful verse that you quoted, Janet, at the top of the program uh, from Thessalonians about how Christians don't grieve like those who have no hope. I think sometimes Christians misunderstand that as if it meant Christians don't grieve. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that when we grieve, as we certainly do, We are in a different position from those who have no hope. Those who have no hope, those who do not believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, a bereavement is the end of a relationship as far as they're concerned. They have no future hope. We do have future hope, but we still grieve. And and, and that's important to say that um, we grieve while we hope and we hope while we grieve. But these two realities we experience together as Christian believers. Yeah, that's a really good point. Something else you mentioned is the importance of talking about your grief. And and mm. this is interesting to me because people can be so different, not just male and female. For example, men may try to be a little bit more tough and women might fall apart a little bit more, but it, wanted, wanting to discuss it more. But people do grieve differently. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are as a pastor on the importance of talking through your grief and being able to just get it out that way. Not, you know, with tears perhaps or maybe without tears but just being able to talk about the person you've lost 
Yes, um, I think that's really important. And one of the couples um, uh, in our group whose story is told uh, in, in the book, Wayne and Joyce, their little daughter, uh, Jill, uh, died in a tragic accident many, many years ago. She was just two years old, and uh, Wayne and Joyce are now in their retirement years. But they had very rarely spoken about what happened to their daughter in all of these years. And when they came to this group, they felt that they had a safe place where they could tell their story. And Joyce said to me afterwards, she said, you know, I shook for an hour after I told uh, my story. Mm. She said, but it was a freeing and a cleansing experience for me. That's a remarkable phrase. She, uh, something very profoundly helpful came to her by being able to express in a way that she hadn't uh, done before to others uh, what had been a very significant part of her and of her husband's life. And uh, you know, the scripture says that we are to weep with those who weep. So it's never the purpose of God for any of his children to grieve alone. Well, that's right. It's sad to me that she would say, you know, that she never talked about it or, or the yeah. husband didn't talk about it. Was it they just didn't want to burden other people with their grief? Yeah, I'm not sure that I can give the full answer to that. Maybe they couldn't either. Um one of the things, too, is that I, I think um, uh, it's often an instinct amongst good Christian folks to feel like we don't want to upset people yes. by bringing up something that's painful. And one of the things that uh, uh, became very clear to me uh, through the group, uh, Janet, was that it's actually a gift to mention the name of someone who's no longer with us. It's yes. a gift to the person who grieves because it means they're not the only one who remembers. Exactly. If you have a story or a memory or something that makes you smile, it may make that person cry, but they're already thinking about their loss anyway. Yes. And they'll be grateful that, uh, that you brought uh, the name of someone they yes. love uh, up in conversation. For sure. We're going to come back with Colin Smith for All Who Grieve is his book. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Kurt Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child, and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural-born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Pregnancies. A gift of $22 will provide one ultrasound, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 
855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today and now. Here's your host, Janet Mefford. It's great to have you with us and great to be talking with Pastor Colin Smith. He is the senior pastor of the Orchard Evangelical Free Church in the Chicago area, also president of Unlocking the Bible. You can check them out at unlockingthebible.org. And he's written a really, I think, helpful book. Anybody who's ever lost anybody can relate to this book, For All Who Grieve, Navigating the Valley of Sorrow and Loss. You were discussing, Colin, before we went to the break, the importance of being able to talk about the person and to bring up the person, perhaps, to somebody who's grieving. I remember having that experience years ago. My college roommate, her father died between our freshman and sophomore years. And I remember having heard somebody say what a person who just lost someone close to them really wants is to talk. Ask them questions. Tell me what happened. Tell me about your dad. Tell me. And I remember how much she just poured her heart out. Do you think we do enough asking other people about their grief in order to help them with their grief process by talking? Yeah, you know, I'm sure that that's something that uh, usefully happen, uh, it needs to happen uh, more often. But I would also say this, that I, I think, you know, for someone who's grieving, you can't have everybody in your circle of trust. Right. What's important is that you need to discern who are people who are able to take this journey with you and will be interested to do that and have the kind of patience, understanding and listening ear. We all know that there are some people who can say foolish and unhelpful things. And so I don't think that grieving people should be wearing their hearts on their sleeve. And I don't think that everybody should always be going to a grieving person and, um, uh, and, and bringing the subject of their loss up. But it is important that there are relationships where there can be honest conversations. That's wisdom, I think, because sure, you don't want to go up to somebody you barely know and try to pry. That's kind of a fine line. What about this aspect that you mentioned in the book about people who sometimes tell you, I don't think I ever grieved properly? Hmm. What would you say it means to grieve properly? I mean, grief is so subjective, but how do you see it as a pastor? Well, you know, the six themes from Lamentations have really been very compelling to me, and I really do think they give an outline Uh, of what it means to grieve uh, properly. And they are tears and talk that we've been speaking about uh, over these last uh, moments, and then guilt and grievance, and then hope and healing. I think these are really the the, the main elements um, of uh, what we experience uh, when we go through um, uh, the valley of um, uh, suffering and loss. And that's why uh, we, we've spoken in the subtitle of the book about navigating the valley of the uh, of sorrow and loss. Uh, I, I think these are the elements uh, that are involved in making that journey. Well, that's right. So when we talk about guilt, how would you say that guilt can sometimes complicate grief? What would be an example yeah. of somebody who yeah. feels guilty over a death? You know, it it strikes me, Janet, actually, that uh, wherever there is grief, it always comes with guilt attached. And usually the way it comes out is with uh, the what ifs 
and the if onlys, mm. you know, if only I'd done this, if only I'd not done that, or if only I'd gone or not gone there or not said this, not done that, or what if I had done this, that or the other, and perhaps there might have been a different uh, outcome. And, and these things can kind of lie on the conscience. And uh, one of the stories that's uh, told uh, in the book, there are five stories that came out of the group that um, uh, met over these weeks in our home. And Leslie and Ken tell their story. Leslie uh, is a nurse and uh, her son uh, died in his teenage years uh, of leukemia. Mm. And she lived for some years afterwards with a sense of uh, what if and if only, things she thought she might have been able to do that might have made a difference. And in the end, there came a point where she had very specifically to bring that before the Lord and lay it down at his feet. And, uh, you know, Hebrews tells us that the blood of Christ is given for the cleansing of the conscience. That's a very important statement, not only the cleansing of our sins, but the cleansing of that which sits on the conscience and weighs heavily on us. And one of the things that was helpful, and I hope will be helpful to others in reading the book, um, is, is, the, um, uh, is the peace that can come from laying down the what-ifs and the if-onlys at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Right. And I wonder if on some level, when people get caught in that trap of feeling guilty, if it's a way of trying to deal with grief and somehow show how much they love the person. Oh, I should have done this. It was somehow my fault. I mean, there are so many complicated emotions, I think, that accompany grief, thoughts that people have when they're alone that that can really get out of hand if somebody doesn't notice it and come in and say, listen, this isn't your fault. It, It was not your fault that your child died. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and I think that's where being part of a, a group of people who've gone through a similar experience can be um, a, a very helpful and wonderful thing. Uh, one, one of the things that to me is just a, a great joy and testimony to God's grace is that the, the couple Greg and Pam around whom this group that I've been describing met a couple of years ago, they are now leading the grief ministry in our church. Mm. And Janet, I have people come up to me pretty much every Sunday and they'll say, oh, I'm so grateful for this grief group. Here's how it's helped me. And, and they will speak about Greg and Pam who are leading it. Out of their experience of loss, there has come a ministry in which they've been able to embrace and comfort other people. And I think that's a remarkable testimony to the grace of God. Absolutely. What about grievance? This is something you mentioned earlier, and you talk about it in the book. People who might turn their anger on God while they are grieving. And, it, you know, it makes me cringe a little bit. How can we possibly look at the potter and be mad at the potter as the clay? He, he is good and he is gracious and he loves us and, you know, all of these things. But what, what do you do with somebody who just in the moment is just mad and, and getting that person to see the Lord for who he really is in that moment? Yeah. Uh, Stace and Cassie were two, a couple in our group, and uh, their uh, little boy, uh, Nathaniel, died after uh, 27 uh, days. And Cassie said on that first night when we gathered, you know, it's hard to believe that God loves you mm-hmm. when he takes away uh, someone that you love. And we really worked through in our conversations in subsequent uh, weeks that very real question. One of the things that I think is very important in Lamentations and very important for us is the honest bringing of what has grieved us 
for God himself. Mm-hmm. So I say to people, Janet, don't complain about God behind his back. <laughs> um, you know, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. And the Bible in the Psalms that you referred to earlier and in Job uh, and uh, in Lamentations give us multiple examples of the value of bringing out honestly uh, what grieves us in the presence of the Lord, putting it into words. It's sometimes, that's sometimes something in which uh, an, another Christian can help coming alongside you in doing that. But it's really important to do that. And then to put that alongside things that we also know about God. Um, uh, don't doubt in the darkness what God taught you in the light. Amen. And that's really where Kathy and Stace came to a resolution when they said, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that God loves you when he takes away someone you love. The resolution that they came to in the end was, you know, it's hard not to believe that God loves you when you're looking at the cross. And that was a very profound thing for them. Well, it is. Can you put the gospel into context here when it comes to grief? Because as you mentioned before, a very famous short verse, Jesus wept over the death of Lazarus, even though he knew he would be raising Lazarus from the dead. Hmm. Um, But the Lord felt the same feelings we feel. What about the fellowship of his sufferings and and what we experience in our sanctification process and how the Lord is with us as our wonderful counselor, even in our deepest moments of grief? You know, it's a very wonderful thing that Jesus is described as the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In Mm -hmm. other words, he, he walks sorrow's path. He's been there. He knows what that is like. And nobody um, listening to this program today would ever choose sorrow's path. No, no one ever chooses to go there. But when you go there, you are in a place where you can meet with Jesus Christ and find that he will walk with you. And I think that that's where Lamentations gives us the greatest hope. It says, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Janet, it strikes me that the biggest question for a person who's grieving is simply, how am I going to get through today? And the answer to that question is, God's mercies will be sufficient to get you through today. And when you get up tomorrow, God's mercies will be new for tomorrow, and they'll be sufficient to get you through tomorrow as well. And that is, you know, Christ... The man of sorrows is on the path of sorrow, and there you will find him, and he will be faithful to you. Yeah, I was thinking about Great is Thy Faithfulness, which is one of my very favorite hymns, and I was thinking about that line in that hymn, Strength for Today and Bright bright Hope hope for for Tomorrow, tomorrow. Blessings All Mine with 10,000 Beside. That I have found also, going back to some of those biblical hymns and going back to the truth that they convey alongside the Word of God can be very, very healing as well. Yes, that's right. And, uh, and also the Psalms and personalizing the Psalms. Um, uh, uh, someone in uh, the group, it was um, uh, Sue um, uh, in the group who, who shared how much it had helped her just to put her name in as she read through various Psalms and personalized them. And she took them just a line at a time and she found that that was immensely helpful to her. That's wonderful. When you are talking to somebody who's in fresh grief, what is the best thing that you could say to that person in that moment? Well, I think the first, the, the first thing is to listen uh, to that person uh, in, in that moment. 
Um, uh, so I, you know, I, I want especially in this situation to keep in mind the, the Bible exhortation to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Okay. Um, but the thing that is first on my mind is what I just uh, read from, from Lamentations. You know, the Bible gives us the wonderful hope of heaven, but heaven seems a long way away from the grieving person. Okay. The immediate question is, how am I going to get through today? And the answer to that in Scripture is that Jesus, the man of sorrows, will walk with you and his grace will be sufficient. Wonderful. Well, a great book for all who grieve. Pastor Colin Smith joining us. Thank you so much, Colin. Really enjoyed talking to you again. God bless you. Thank you. And you too. All right. Thank you so much. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, do you think the Iowa caucuses mess confirms that this is not a group of people you should trust with running the country. What a fiasco. I don't know. They are just making misstep after misstep after misstep. But I really honed in on this particular story because I thought it was quite interesting for a number of reasons, and I'll explain why. Mediaite reported on this, I wouldn't call it a confrontation, but a discussion between an Iowa woman who was there to vote and the caucus precinct captain for Mayor Pete. Her name is Nikki Vandenheever. So I'm still trying to figure out a number of things about this particular interaction. But the upshot is that this Iowa woman was surprised to find out that Mayor Pete was a homosexual who was quote unquote married to another man. And she tried to get her card back so she could change her vote. But I want to play a little bit of this interaction. Listen to this. Cut five. So are you saying that he has a same-sex partner? He? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah, he's married to him, yeah. Well, then I don't want anybody like that in my house. So can I have my card back? I don't know. Signed it. We could go ask. I never knew that. The whole point of it is, though, he's a human being, right? Just like you and me. And should it really matter? That's what. Well, he better read the Bible. He does, and he says that God doesn't choose a political party. Because why does it say in the Bible that a man should marry a woman then? Well, I totally respect your viewpoint on this. I so totally do. But I think that we were not around. How come this has never been brought out before? It's it's common knowledge. I never heard it. All right. A, A few questions that I have. Number one, let's take this at face value. My first question was, why is she a Democrat? I don't really understand this. If you have a biblical view of marriage, why would you be voting for any Democrat? They are as pro-LGBT as it gets. And secondly, how can you not know that Mayor Pete is a homosexual? That's his whole deal. 
that's the only card that he really is playing. He's trying to play it by downplaying it and acting as if we're just so mature as a country now that it's not even an issue. And it, it's the Obama routine. Obama, it was about race. And Mayor Pete, it's about sexuality. And this woman somehow hasn't heard that he's a homosexual. Honestly, that's all he ever talks about. So what's the deal? And he's always hauling around Chastin, his his buddy, his partner, his well, significant other, whatever you want to call I'm not going to say husband because it's not a husband situation, but a, a little strange. Now, the, the conversation continues. Listen to the rest of it. Cut six. I guess what I would like you to just dig deep inside and think, like, should it matter if it's a woman or if it's a man or if they're heterosexual or homosexual, if you believe in what they say? That's my question. It all just went right down the toilet is where it all just went. And, and that you are, yeah, you have a total right to your opinion, and I am not trying to tell you to think otherwise. But we'll ask what they want us to do. But I just, I just ask you to look inside your heart because you sound like a Christian woman to me, and I'm a Christian woman, and my God wants me to love everybody. I do. Yep. So you must not believe it then if you think it's okay for somebody to be married to a same-sex person. No, I I think we're just interpreting it different, and that's okay, because everybody has, gets to have their own beliefs. But what I teach my son is that love is love. Okay, love is love, love is love. Using her young son as Exhibit A, this, this guy has it right. I have a couple more questions about this incident. One is... How was it that this woman, at the very moment that she was bringing this up to the precinct captain, somebody was there standing ready to film it? Think about this for a moment. If you were a Democrat and you were pro-marriage, then you know well enough that the Democrats are crazy on the other side of the line and everything is pro-LGBT and maniacal and they had LGBT debates and all the rest and why would you stand there and allow somebody to film you? Now, now you could say, all right, well, maybe she didn't know. She, she didn't know that Mayor Pete was a homosexual. So why would she have any clue what the Democratic Party believes about homosexuality or LGBT issues? Which leads me to my second question. And I hope I'm wrong about this, but there was just a teeny, tiny, teeny part of me that watched this and said, I wonder if this is a setup. Because Mayor Pete, as you know, is a crafty sort of guy. He really wants to win. He announced his own victory in the Iowa caucuses before any results were even released. He really wants to win and he really wants to be the guy. And so if you're up against Bernie, you're up against Biden and you have some uphill battles to fight politically speaking, could it be that maybe if you released a video of this type that made you look more sympathetic, it might get you some more votes? I I'm, I know it's cynical. I know You can yell at me. You can yell at the, the radio right now. Okay, I admit it. I admit it. It crossed my mind. I'm not saying that that's what happened. On the other hand, though, I have seen so many hoaxes, so many hoaxes over the last, I don't know, five, ten years from this crowd that I wouldn't put it past anybody. I'm not saying that Mayor Pete set it up. I just, I don't trust these people. I don't. If you have a horse race in which this guy really, really wants to come out on top, maybe that would be a way to gain sympathy. 
And I hope I'm wrong because when I watched that video, the woman sounded very sincere. So it's in all likelihood she was sincere, which leads me to my next question, which is how long will it be before the LGBT tyrants try to destroy her? They will. They'll dox her. They'll get her name. They'll talk about her. They'll, you know, they'll do their usual deals to probably get threatened. I'm telling you this. It's just the way it goes. So in that case, if it really was a moment that was completely authentic, then I am scared a little bit for her. And she might want to switch parties. You're, You're not even voting for the party that believes in marriage between one man and one woman exclusively. They, they can't figure out biology over on that side of the aisle. So why in the world are you even there? I, I don't know. Well, maybe she's just, you know, she, she's been out of it a little bit and hasn't been paying attention. To- totally possible. But I have to throw that in. All right. Well, I have to talk a little bit about Franklin Graham. I saw this story from the UK. It's a website called Christian Today. They ran it. And, and here's basically what happened in the last few days. Franklin Graham has once again, as the Federalist reports, fallen victim to the intolerance of a leftist horde well-versed in silencing any voice with which they disagree. This time, it is Britain's Liverpool Labour LGBT network leading the charge by pressuring its city's local government to cancel Graham's upcoming speaking engagement. Terrified of straying out of favor with those who can summon placards in protest, Liverpool's ACC Conference Center duly agreed to pull the plug. Yeah, that... Seven UK cities actually have canceled Franklin Graham, as they say, for the crime of believing the Bible. Yep, the conference center said this. Over the past few days, we have been made aware of a number of statements which we consider to be incompatible with our values. In light of this, we can no longer reconcile the balance between freedom of speech and the divisive impact this event is having in our city. It added, the booking will no longer be fulfilled. Graham Sheffield tour stop was also canceled recently with the leader of the city council calling the preacher's views discriminatory and repulsive. What's repulsive about biblical truth? And over the weekend, seven of the eight UK venues canceled Graham's booking. The last one in Newcastle, as at the time of the writing, was looking shaky. So Franklin Graham is always a very gracious man. He's always very measured and loving and saying, you know, he speaks truth, but he's very loving. And he put out a Facebook post and he said, my message to all people is that they can be forgiven and they can have a right relationship with God. That's good news. That's the hope people on every continent around the world are searching for in the UK, as well as in the United States. We have religious freedom and freedom of speech. I'm not coming to the UK to speak against anybody. I'm coming to speak for everybody. The gospel is inclusive. I'm not coming out of hate. I'm coming out of love. What did Jesus say? They hated me. They're going to hate you because I testify that their deeds are evil. That's what's going on. He knows that. We know that. But did he actually predict that this is one of the things that could and did happen back when Obergefell was decided? We're going to come back on Janet Meffer today right after this. Don't go away.
the healthcare open enrollment period has ended. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up with Liberty HealthShare. As a Christian healthcare sharing ministry, Liberty HealthShare is not insurance, so you can still sign up. In fact, you can sign up any time of year, and there are no contracts. Starting as low as $199 a month, Liberty HealthShare has memberships for singles, couples, and families, so you can choose the ideal program for your situation. Plus, Liberty HealthShare has no network, so you're free to pick your own doctors, hospitals, and providers. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Go to libertyhealthshare.org JMT for more information. libertyhealthshare.org JMT. When an abortion-minded woman walks into a preborn center, it is a divine appointment. It's where she encounters the love of Jesus Christ and has the opportunity to meet the beautiful life growing inside of her and find out that every baby's life matters. I got to hear how strong her heartbeat was. I was like, I felt like she was supposed to be here. And it didn't matter what anybody else told me. And all that mattered was that I was blessed with the ability to carry life inside of my body. And that baby was supposed to be here for something. And that was all that mattered. 80% of women in crisis pregnancies choose life after meeting their babies on ultrasound. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your donation goes toward saving babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's banner to click at janetmefford.com you're listening to janet mefford today and now here's janet welcome back i'm not surprised at all that franklin graham was canceled in the uk in a number of cities wanting to come and share the gospel of jesus christ because he actually believes the bible and it's just it's par for the course isn't it we're seeing it more and more. Somebody had made the remark to me yesterday and i agree with this completely that having sloughed off the European Union in Brexit, the UK actually has a master that it can't slough off or won't slough off in LGBT tyrants. And I agree with that completely. I agree with that completely. It is completely out of control. We're seeing it not only in the UK and parts of Europe, we're seeing it in Canada. It's out of control. We're seeing it more and more in the United States. It always baffles me. Why don't people stand up to this? There are millions of people who agree that marriage is between one man and one woman. Where's our courage? Where is our spine? Why in the world don't we speak out with one voice? There are more of us than there are of them. I don't really get it except fear. It's fear and it is not wanting to look like a homophobe. Let me just tell you, no matter how many times you say, I am not a homophobe, I'm not scared of anything, but I just believe the Bible and I love everybody. I love my neighbors. I love myself as Christ commands me to do. But love means I have to tell you the truth from God's word and you must flee sin, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my job as a Christian. It doesn't matter how many times you say that they're going to hate you. So get over it. (laughs) I don't mean to be harsh, but I'm just trying to be hard truth here. Just get over it. So what if they throw a few insults at you? So what? 
Is that the worst thing? Well, they can do worse, but I'm just saying, if you're worried about people looking at you like you're some kind of pond scum, you just need to get over it. When you signed up to become a Christian, you signed up for the world to hate you, and you just can't worry about it. You're heading for a heavenly city. You're following the Lord Jesus Christ on the narrow way, and you have to be like in Pilgrim's Progress, putting your fingers in your ears and saying, life, life, eternal life, and you just keep going. Because that's where we are all headed and we cannot be weighed down by the world. We are headed for heaven and eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to gather around his throne and give him worship and praise for all of eternity. It's going to be so glorious. We can't even imagine it. So what are we worried about here on earth? Big deal. Big deal. Of course, this is why we're doing our God's Voice conference. Go to godsvoice.us and you can see what that's all about. But I want to go to something that Franklin Graham had to say. At the time that the Obergefell v. Hodges decision came down from the Supreme Court in 2015, he was on Fox News and talking a little bit about his reaction to the Obergefell ruling. Listen to cut one. I'm disappointed. Uh, I'm disappointed because our our government is uh, recognizing sin. This court is endorsing sin. And that's what uh, homosexuality is. It's, it's a sin against God, just like uh, um, any other sin. But, but for the court to endorse sin, I'm saddened for our country. Uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll have to, to go by with what the court says. But as far as for me, uh, I will never uh, recognize it in my heart. Uh, because God gave marriage between a man and a woman, and, and that's what marriage is. And I don't think the court, since it never defined marriage, it doesn't have the right uh, to redefine it. Uh, God, God gave us marriage, and, and that's just it. That's period. And God does not change his mind. Beautiful. Beautifully said, standing firm right at the outset, and he has not wavered in the last four and a half, five years from that comment. And he's absolutely right. This is the wonderful thing about standing on God's word. As I often say, the great thing about the Bible is it never evolves. So you don't have to move into worldly philosophy. You don't have to accept new deviance. You just be a Christian. Follow the Lord, follow his word, don't move. That's, that's how we triumph in Christ Jesus. Then he's asked if love wins. And, you know, President Obama at the time tweeted that out. Love wins and all that rainbow colors in the White House. Just kind of a in, in, in your face maneuver to all of us who uphold traditional morality. Who is the loser today? Franklin Graham has asked. Listen to cut two. Well, uh, I think our country uh, is, is the loser. Uh, because uh, marriage is, uh, is, uh, is the institution that God has given. And for us now to, to give this to uh, same-sex couples, and, and who's to say that uh, a few years from now that a man cannot marry his daughter, or uh, two men can marry one woman? I mean, where do, where do you draw the line? Uh, and so this is, this is new ground that our, our country is beginning to enter on. And I'm, I'm just concerned about where we head. And then also, is there going to be discrimination against uh, uh, churches, against organizations like what I represent, who are going to stand by the biblical definition of marriage? Or will, will we be discriminated against by the government? Very prescient, wasn't it? Very prophetic. Will we be discriminated against now that we have the Obergefell decision coming out from the U.S. Supreme Court? Will morality turn around? Yes, of course it will. And a lot of us saw this in 2015. We said, what's going to happen is we're going to see a reversal of morality. And what was formerly good and right and beautiful and true 
is now going to be seen as hate speech or discrimination. And this is exactly what Franklin Graham is going through right now in the UK. Oh, you're a hater. What, for speaking biblical truth? Hey, England, did you know that you were long steeped in Christianity and then when you rejected it, your country started to fall apart? Honestly, these people are, they need to wake up. We need to pray for them. There are wonderful Christians over in the UK. I'm not saying that they're not, but I'm saying this, this culture in the UK is so brainwashed. I mean, you have a master and he will tell you what to think and he will tell you what is reasonable and not reasonable. And the UK now apparently says the Bible is not reasonable. Look at how they reacted when the Church of England said we can only endorse uh, sexual relations in a man-woman marriage. And they went berserk and the Church of England ended up going, oh, we're sorry. We didn't mean to offend anybody. Like you're the Church of England. I know. I know. You guys have gone off the rails, but... Why make this statement if you're not prepared to stand behind it? Why does everybody collapse? Have some courage. Have some biblical conviction. How are you going to stand if things get really difficult? If you can't even stand that way? It's insane. So Franklin Graham then was asked, will this decision, the Obergefell decision, lead to open season on Christians? And he is asked to give his concerns and his warnings. This is in 2015. Cut three. Well, you better be ready and you better be prepared uh, because it's coming. I think we will be, uh, there will be persecution uh, of Christians for, for our stand. Because see, I believe uh, I believe the Bible, and uh, God, listen, God God loves uh, loves us, no question about it. So when the president says that love wins, yes, uh, God loves us, but but sin is sin, and God has standards. And when when we violate those standards, any type of sexual relationship outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman is a sin against God. And, but God will forgive sin. But the only way that He'll forgive it is if we repent and confess our sins and by faith uh, put our faith and trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, who took our sins to the cross. He died and shed His blood on the cross for our sins, all of our sins. So if we're willing to confess and repent and believe on the name of Jesus Christ, God will forgive our sins. Uh, but our nation has a spiritual problem. And uh, we, we, need, we, need, uh, we need God's forgiveness. We need re- to repent of our sins and turn from our sins. Because I do believe that uh, God's judgment will come on this nation when we read in the Scripture. Uh, we see how God judged Israel uh, time and time again when they would turn their back on Him and begin to worship other gods, foreign gods, and God would bring judgment on, on Israel. And I believe God could bring judgment on America. No doubt about it. I am so grateful as I was listening to that clip. I am so grateful that I live in a country where I can actually play that on the radio for you and you can hear it because I believe there may come a day when I'm not going to be allowed to play that. And when and if that day comes, then I'm not going to I'm not going to play ball. (laughs) I'm just not going to play ball. So we'll see what goes on. But here's an example of what he's talking about. Joy Pullman over at The Federalist wrote about this. Did you know that Wells Fargo and Fifth Third Bank announced they will no longer donate to help poor minority children attend better Christian schools because the bank's leaders think Christian teachings about sex are bigoted? I see. Okay. The two corporations last year donated over $5 million to Florida's tax credit scholarship program, which helps more than 100,000 children, about 70% of whom are black, Hispanic, and multiracial. Isn't that incredible? This all was due to a harassment campaign, as she says, by the Orlando Sentinel. The newspaper went after Christian schools in articles accusing them of hating LGBT people due to religious teachings about sex that are shared by the majority of the world's faithful, including Muslims and Jews. They always have to throw in the Muslims. But where are the Muslims fighting this battle with us? 
I don't really see any. At any rate, here's where we are. We're the bigots. We're the people who are discriminating. Well, we ought to be discriminating. I'm not saying I'm for discrimination as the law defines it. I mean, we ought to be discriminating. We should be discriminating between truth and error. We should be discriminating between good and evil. That's what we're called to do as Christians. We can't change that just because the world has a hissy fit. Have your hissy fit. And you know what? In in the long run, we're on the right side of history because we're on the right side of truth. And by the way, we're going to be addressing a biblical response to LGBTQ plus tyranny at our upcoming God's Voice Conference on April 17th and 18th. I would love to see you there. It's going to be awesome. Just go online, go to the website, godsvoice.us. Early bird discount available now. We got to leave it there. We'll see you next time here on Janet Meffer Today. Today.